0: Welcome to The Aggressive Life. My name is Brian. It's great to have you with us today. This podcast is all about getting us outside of our comfort zones, getting us outside of just allowing life to happen to us versus making life happen, getting outside of the idea that, well, it'll all work out in the end, right? It'll all just take care of itself. No, it will not take care of itself. In all likelihood, things will get worse. We have to reclaim The word aggression that says, no, I am going to grab my life by the throat. I'm going to take control of things. I'm going to do things. And if they don't work out, they don't work out because they don't always work out. But one thing I've seen again in my life, again and again and again, is it has a higher likelihood of not working out if I don't do something. That's the idea of aggression. Today, we've got a good little guest on the, on the aggression. Little, he's, he's not little. He's not little. He's cute. He's cute, but he's, he's not little. And of course, I, like, it'd be great if one podcast, if I said, well, today, we've got a real mediocre guest. I don't know if this one's going to work out well or not, but, uh, but that is not this one. According to Fortune Magazine, nine out of 10 startup businesses will fail. That means you have a higher likelihood of being accepted into an Ivy League school than your small business being a success. That's where Mortar comes in. Mortar is the stuff between the bricks that keeps the wall together. And Mortar is also the name of an organization started in 2014 by my friend Alan Woods, They've been changing neighborhoods by teaming up with historically marginalized populations to help them both start and maintain their small business ventures. I know some of you already say, oh my goodness, is this going to be like another woke podcast? Is this going to be another thing on, on race? No, no, no. I, th- I think we're going to get into race stuff, but this is, this, is, this is not like the woke podcast. This is also not the entrepreneur podcast. You could be a white stay-at-home parent, and I think you're gonna get a lot today because I get a lot out of my time with Alan Woods. We meet together with a couple other guys, a few other guys every Thursday, and uh, he brings a lot of life to me. Entrepreneurs are one of those groups of people that have gotta be aggressive, right? I mean, they've yeah. they they, they got to go, and if they're not going, they have zero chance. And this is actually the way it is in all of our lives. We just have a Petri dish that brings out those extremes in entrepreneurship like maybe nothing else. To date, 87% of mortar entrepreneurs are people of color. 67% are women of color. One in four has faced a significant hardship in their life. Allen is one of the founding partners of of Mortar. He's going to talk to us about it. He's the executive director. He's received the John F. Baird Entrepreneur Vision Award. He's a highly sought out after public speaker. He's got an amazing knot tied in the top of his head. (laughs) That is not in the bio. (laughs) That's not in the bio. But hey, it's The Aggressive Life. It's all about me. It's all about me having fun. Welcome to The Aggressive Life,
1: Alan Woods. Thank you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to amend anything that I just said before we get into some of my no, questions. No, not at all. <laughs> so Mortar is a pretty incredible organization. You're, um, I don't know if anyone told you or not, Alan, but if you're trying to start something to make a living at it, starting something to help people start something who already are behind the eight ball because of their skin tone or their gender is not necessarily a good idea to strike it rich. Well, how did you start doing this?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that. It's understanding that there are uh, circumstances, there are obstacles, there are people who maybe have not had all of the opportunities that I've had that I wanted to go out and kind of dedicate my life to helping other people kind of get their, you know, move forward in their lives. You know, so I think that when you think of this being an aggressive, you know, situation, like it's one of those things where you have to go after it with tenacity. It's not something that you can, you know, kind of fiddle-faddle around. It's like you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And there are so many people who want to start businesses and they want to take their passions and their purpose and, and figure out a way to monetize them, but they just don't know what those next actionable steps are. And, you know, maybe they didn't go to college to do the thing, but, uh, you know, they just need somebody to kind of give them that guidance. And that's what I've, you know, selected to do with my life.
0: Oftentimes when we discover our calling, it's not like a booming voice comes down from heaven. I think it's three circles that come together, and that intersection point is the calling. One is your gifts. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you're able to do really, really well that was just put into you? that you didn't work for, that just is maybe you're a communicator or a salesperson or Mm -hmm. great with numbers. Another one is opportunities. What's there. And then another one is kind of desires. What is it you want? If you find those three things you can have a job that's where all three of those areas exist, that's a powerful one. I'm curious about the, the desires, uh, the book of Psalms says God will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And part of what is included there is I just feel something. Yeah. I want something. I'm wondering for you is there a is there an emotional vignette for you as it relates to entrepreneurship and the underserved folks or the folks who are behind the eight ball? Was there was there a moment or a person
1: where you felt something, where you just went, oh gosh, this is just not right. I've got to do something about this. What that is often called like that moment of obligation. It's like the the moment in a movie where the the superhero finally puts on the cape and it's like, okay, I have to do something right now. And I think that for us, it was recognizing that in one particular neighborhood in Over the Rhine, uh, which is a neighborhood here in Cincinnati, there were a lot of new businesses coming to the area. There's a lot of diversity in the neighborhood. When you walk around, you see a lot of different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, different complexions, different lifestyles. Um, But then when you walk into the businesses, all of that kind of disappeared. And that diversity uh, vanished as you walk through the doors when you start thinking about who owns the businesses that were coming into the neighborhood And what we recognize is that though there are some great restaurants in the neighborhood and some, you know, excellent highlights that are happening with bars and uh, parks and all of the things, there are people who live in this neighborhood who've been here for decades who are just as talented, uh, can outcook probably half of the other restaurants that are there, but they just haven't had— the person to advocate for them or they haven't had the network or they haven't had the capital or they just didn't know what to do next and how to turn that gift into and that desire into something that they could actually pursue and monetize. And I think that that was that moment of obligation for us was, you know, recognizing that we wanted people to be a part of the revitalization of the neighborhood.
0: So was, but, but was there a person you saw this person and you saw them hurting, or you saw their potential, and, and did your heart go, oh,
1: gosh, no, that person no, there? that no. that didn't happen. Huh, like, for me, my life, based on who I am, it is always, like, being creative has always been really easy for me, you know? So, for some people, math comes really easy. I am not that guy. Um, but being creative and looking at problem solving in a different way has always come easily for me. Um, so, you know, when I started, my... Journey as an entrepreneur. I started as a kid with a camera, you know, who was wanted to be a photographer, and then that snowballed into graphic design. Then I went back to school to do design, and then I started helping small businesses become better with their branding. Uh, and so for me, it was this is an opportunity, selfishly, for me to take all of my passions, all of the things that I care about. And kind of built my dream job and solve another problem at the same time. So there wasn't a one person. It was they recognizing that there are challenges and there are people who are even less privileged than me, you know, because there's a level of privilege that comes from being a kid who tells his parents, hey, I'm into photography. And then your parents actually going out and buying you a camera and then putting you in weekend classes and then taking you to museums so that you can, you know, be, a, be surrounded by the thing that you're passionate about. When I figured out that this could be something that allowed me to bring all of my gifts and put them on one table and utilize them together. I mean, we're doing film with uh, our participants that come through the program. I just did a, a photo series with a lot of our uh, women entrepreneurs for Women's History Month. Um, I do a lot of writing. For, you know, it's just a lot of opportunities to use my gifts.
0: You, you, call, you mentioned you were, you were privileged. What's yeah. the difference between someone who's privileged and not? And I'm not talking here about, you know, white privilege. I'm just going, what, 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 what would make somebody—you yeah. said you're privileged. Why, why would you say you are privileged where other people you do were not? What's some of the marks of that?
1: I mean, I think it does kind of connect to white privilege in the sense of there are certain things that come from who you are or who you are around. Um, and so for me, it, though, it wasn't white privilege. It was the because you are very black. I, don't I know am if, very uh, black. You're, 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 very you're black. black all day. Especially black today, all day. <laughs> today, I'm super black. I got my African necklace on. Like I'm ready to go. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's really important to to acknowledge that, you know, every person of color doesn't come from a place of uh, lack. And I think that that's kind of the narrative is that, you know, there's a place of lack. When I say privilege, there are things in people around me that poured into me uh, and I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. It's it's a level of privilege. It's a level of blessing that I acknowledge now as an adult that maybe at the time I didn't realize it because I had friends who had Jordans and my parents wouldn't buy me any, you know. So it's like, so I think that when I say privilege, I'm saying I'm coming from a place where I, I didn't have any lack. I mean, in the sense of we, you know, I was never starving. I was never, you know, in a home where our lights were turned off and things like that. Um, but I do empathize with people who that is their story. And I, I want to challenge them and help them get to that next point Well, place. just
0: the fact that you had two parents are together. Yeah. I mean, it, the, that's the, a starting point. <laughs> the statistics are very, very clear that, uh, if you're if you're going to grow up in a single parent home you're much more likely to be in poverty than somebody who isn't yeah and and i don't want to be discouraging to our listeners who are single parents yeah. not at all doesn't mean it's a guarantee it doesn't mean it's going to happen it's just very clear you have an advantage
1: it's basic math honestly i mean like huh. even if you even if you are working a low wage job if you have two people in a home that are make, both working low wage jobs you have twice as much money even though it's not a lot of money, but you're bringing two incomes to into one home. So whether you have a roommate or whoever, you know, you're able to divide up some of those those finances. So you kind of have this ability to kind of have this cooperative economics built in if you have a, a two-parent household um, and you have additional support. Maybe you're not paying for a sitter if you have one parent who's staying at home because – you know, sometimes one parent both parents working, sometimes the one of the parents is working just to pay for the kids to be able to go somewhere. When you start to think about what they're paying for nannies or for daycare or whatever, you're you're spending so much doing that. So well, yeah. it's
0: not just those financial realities, right. but men and women do bring different insights and perspectives to the playing field. 100%. And when you've got a mom and a dad, you're doubling your wisdom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, 67% of all of the people that Mortar serves Mm -hmm. are women of color. The the vast majority are women. Yeah. Tell us
1: why women and entrepreneurship is so critical and important. When we think of, you know, marginalized communities, women have always been marginalized in the United States, you know, like even through women's suffrage and all of those things like there were women who have always been marginalized. My mom, I was talking to my mom the other day and she does real estate and she was talking about, you know. In in the 40s, women couldn't buy their own homes, and in the 70s, they couldn't even get on their own credit card without, like, a cosigner from a man. And so there there have always been those challenges, and I think that we're in a really pivotal place right now where women are being empowered, and they're stepping up into a whole new place. And across the country, the fastest-growing number of new entrepreneurs are black women.
0: My mother was valedictorian at her college, Baldwin-Wallace College, mm which is a really good school in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, she talks about it. I mean, I, I, there's a, there's some appropriate bitterness with her. As valedictorian, her coming out, she had three opportunities. Mm-hmm. Nurse, work at a church, or be a... Secretary? Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, that, that was it. And, you know, uh. valedictorian, you know, and, yeah. and she worked at a church. She was an organist at church, did, did Christian education, stuff like that at the church. But, yeah, it wasn't too long ago that... Your sex parts defined purely what your possibilities were in the future.
1: And they still do. I mean, like, in in the realms of equal pay, I mean, like, I I just don't understand why that is still a thing. Why a woman sitting right next to, to a man doing the exact same job and possibly even better than that man is getting paid less. And so, you know, we we do what we can to be as empowering to women as possible to get out of the way when we need to get out of the way, to open the door when we need to open the door. And I think that that's important.
0: I'm wondering if here domestically in the United States, it's the same learnings with your organization. It is with organizations that I've worked with that are overseas. They're trying to kick a dent in poverty. They are actually targeting women to help Mm-hmm. because women stay in the community and build the community where the men don't like yeah. there 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 seems like in poverty there's an yeah. evaporation of men where where are, where are where are the men in the communities where there's poverty
1: that what is, what's your thoughts on this <laughs> uh this this podcast could be really really long um there are a lot of men that um maybe grew up in a home that had a lack of a male presence. And so there are a lot of men by age that have not learned how to be men by character. They they have started to kind of disappear and maybe uh, duplicate some of the, the things that they saw when they were children. There's systems in play. I mean, like when we talk about sentencing um, and these are not things that I'm, I'm making up or I mean, there's statistics on. Sentencing for crimes, equal crimes, but depending on who you are and where you, where you're from, how you know you're in front of a judge, and you might get leniency if you're a white man that did the exact same thing as a black man, or you know when you think back to the war on drugs, you that's, know that's a statistical it, it, yeah, fact. Yeah, that's, a, that's
0: a definitely, statistical definitely, fact. Definitely. That's been studied many, many, many absolutely, times. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And you know, so there, there are sometimes those reasons that men become absent. But, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, you can't just blame everything on systems. There are just some men that are immature who have never actually become real men. And they are not taking advantage of the opportunities. They're not taking care of their families. Um, And they're honestly just really selfish and, you know, it creates a dynamic where women have had to figure out how to do it um, because they don't have the uh, luxury of walking away from children you know, in the way that men have done for forever. You know, a woman will give birth to a kid and the man could literally leave the hospital or never show up at the hospital and go and live his life. And the woman has always said, I have to do what I have to do to take care of my family. And I think that these new entrepreneurs are doing that and taking it to a different level.
0: So give us a test case study of one of your one of your female clients what does life look like and how do they start a business and how does it make an impact? Just, just, just pick yeah. one. Like, What's the, how old they are, what their business is yeah. and what it looks like for how they got to schedule out their days.
1: So, uh, the first person who popped in my head is actually Erica Gray. She's, uh, married, but she is, she doesn't have any children, but you know, she is, she is a grinder. She is always making sure that she takes her business to another level and, She's one of the people that, you know, when I'm thinking about other people who work like I work, she is one of those people. Um, so she used to have a boutique in Covington, Kentucky. Uh, it started to change. You know, she was doing, like, vintage clothing. Then she was like, you know, I'm really into candles. I wish that I could, you know, get into creating my own candles. And she started a company called District 78, where she creates her own, like, soy-based candles. Uh, and then she took it another level, and now she does plants, you know, as well. So she calls her company, District 78, a mood company. Uh, She has a store... Actually, with three other Mortar alumni, uh, it's on a uh, short vine in the Clifton area, and it's called Paws, uh, which is just designed to tell people to take a pause in your day to focus on yourself. Um, so you can go in there and get plants or candles or cold pressed juice. You can even get a massage. I mean, like there's just so much that you can kind of walk into this one space, and that kind of speaks again to cooperative economics. Instead of one entrepreneur trying to carve out one space all by themselves, four entrepreneurs came together and said, what would happen if we split this, you know, so that, you know, it increases our profit margin because we have less overhead because we're sharing the rent and all the utilities. And it just creates a whole different dynamic for especially in environments of COVID. They literally opened on Valentine's Day 2020, like one month before the stay at home Mm -hmm. order. And they had a great year last year because they were doing it together. And they've all said that if they were in that space by themselves, it wouldn't have happened. Um, So, you know, having Erica kind of lead— and and be able to show other entrepreneurs who maybe haven't had a space, you know, how to take care of a space and how to, you know, just continue to grow your business. Um, it's been she's a mentor at, at the same time. So it gives her an opportunity to continue to grow and to continue to, to pour into other people. And I think that that's one of the important parts of what you do, what I do. It's as we grow, we're not just growing for the sake of our growth. We're taking some of the, the growth that we have and we're pouring into other people.
0: I'm curious how COVID has affected your clients. And I'm actually really interested to hear your response because I'm honestly not sure what's going to be. We had a guy recently on the podcast, uh, John Acuff, uh, very, very funny guy. He wrote a book called uh, Stuff White People Like. <laughs> bunch of bunch of interesting. And and he we were we were talking, and he said Was
1: mayonnaise on the list?
0: Mayonnaise? I'm not sure man- oh, man. Uh, man- wondering. I'm I'm not a mayonnaise guy. Okay. M- mustard all the way, but it was stuff <laughs> like white people like live animals in church. That's what, lo- <laughs> what, well, white people like moleskin notebooks. That was another one. You know, actually, no, it wasn't what white people like. It was what Christians like. Yeah, like Stuff stu- stu- gotcha. Christians like. Yeah, Stuff gotcha. Christians like. Okay. I think he took it off the book called White People. Anyway, we got in this whole thing. He said, you know what I don't like about whole Christian culture? He said, I don't like that when I come in, the worship leader always assumes I've had a crappy week. The worship leader always goes, uh." Uh, it's been tough he's always got his skinny jeans on and all this stuff he's going oh it's been a hard week I, I just, let's just go to God with all of our difficult things and he says I'm, I'm sitting there going I didn't have a bad week right. I had a I had a great week yeah. I would just, I would just one time like to hear worship leader say hey man we all nailed it this week yeah. so let's thank God for that you uh, you you told told me in one of our groups you're like'm I'm, I'm tired of I'm tired of hearing all the negative by COVID because you had like the greatest year of your life was we that did. year. Tell us why, how?
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as a company mortar, we also, I mean, obviously went through the same transitions that a lot of other organizations went through. We had to furlough some employees. We had to make some adjustments, but I think that it gave us time to think it gave us time to reflect on what's working. What's not, what should we be doing? How do we adjust? Uh, and you know, it, it is, often difficult to be the person who's in a room when everybody's like yeah all the businesses are struggling and everything's terrible and you're just sitting there like uh well ours was kind of good you know like <laughs> and, and then you you don't want to come across as if you have a lack of empathy for the businesses who are struggling uh, because that just wasn't our story last year you know there were a lot of businesses that you know i think the initial thought was 25% of all businesses are going to go out of business due to covid and then when you look at specifically the black community that number is skyrocketed to an estimate of 40%. And for us, we didn't have any of our alumni that were in business when COVID started. None of them went out of business. We actually had like five of them do grand openings during COVID. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of built into that. You know, it's not just a a thing that we can take credit for. We, We just have some people who have you know some exceptional skills and tenacity to to kind of push forward in spite of the the challenges that are happening.
0: So your businesses that you service survived or grew. Yeah, the organization you lead had a banner year. You yeah. you told me, man, it was a great year for me. I've got, I bought my first brand new truck. Yeah, you know you got a bunch of other. So just, as I ask you this, just mm-hmm. want to have a baseline for all of us to hear. I don't know what you're going to say. It's yeah. just good to hear. We're not talking about Captain Doom and Gloom here. You're, right. you're, you're one of the first people I had, I heard admit publicly, I'm having a great year. Cause yeah. it's kind of like, we're all going, oh yeah, 2020, yeah. but not everyone yeah. did. So anyway, 2020 was a very, very difficult year, uh, tense year on, on, on all levels for cultural indicators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about for new businesses? How about for, you know, the people in your neighborhoods? Yeah. What did it look like that I might not be aware of in my predominantly white neighborhood? Well, no, yeah. not predominantly. My white neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's not predominant. It is white.
1: So I think that, that one of the things that um, people don't take into account is ingenuity that has to be a part of being an entrepreneur. If you want to make it, you have to figure it out. And that's with with or without a pandemic. Like, if something happens, you have to uh, figure out how to make the adjustment before it completely wipes you out. You know, it's, it's the same as when you drive. You know, when you're driving and you're in your lane and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you could be doing everything right, but if some idiot swerves into your lane, you have to be ready to make the decisions that you have to make to preserve your life. And it's the same thing in business. You have to be able to preserve your business. And I think that a lot of times people are on autopilot and they're not as attentive to their business. And sometimes that's when something happens and you're not ready for it. Um, So we, you know, we are often encouraging our participants to have have plan B's and C's when everything is going perfectly fine so that they can prepare and be ready in case something else happens. Uh, And I think that that's one of the encouraging things of having a group like ours around to kind of be that mentor and kind of be that advocate for Uh, our participants, because things can happen at a moment's notice. And if you don't know what to do or you don't know who to ask, um, it can be a challenge and you're kind of there by yourself. And I think that a lot of the businesses that weren't able to survive through COVID weren't able to make those adjustments quickly. 40%
0: Forty percent of minority-owned businesses failed. That was the expectation. That was the so, expectation. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I'm not sure what the the current number is, but what I do know is that there have actually been a lot of people um, across the nation um, of all different, you know, diverse, you know, backgrounds that have started businesses during COVID. Whether it is a business that serves a new need or if it's a business that you know comes from necessity or someone gets laid off or you know furloughed and they're like you know what now is the time you know I have I'm sitting at home I'm trying to you know keep my sanity and maybe now's the time that I start to pursue this thing that I always have wanted to do, but didn't have the time or didn't have the, the reason or the, the, you know, just everything didn't line up. And I think a lot of people have looked at COVID as a time to kind of start to pursue some of the things that they didn't pursue in the past.
0: Hey, let's take a quick break here for a couple things. One, how about doing a brother a solid? Tell people you listen to this and you like it. How about leaving me a review and rating? Seriously, guys, and and ladies, it would be really helpful if you gave us a review because it would encourage more people to get in touch with the podcast. The more people who are getting aggressive, the better all of our lives are going to be because the better the world is going to do. So do that right now, please. Also, I've had a new devotional out. It's called Move. It was self-published, and a traditional publisher has picked it up. It's going to have a nationwide release Tuesday, May 18th. We've added 22% new content to this devotional. So even if you had the original... There's new stuff in there. We've got a week's worth of special podcast content planned to celebrate the release. And I'm excited about this book, this content, because these are the things that guys wrestle with and need to hear from. So you can pre-order your copy on Amazon now and you'll be ready for May 18th. So back to the show. You have a a powerful story that includes a Woolworth store, a Woolworth store, civil rights museum, and the opening of mortar. Can you yeah. give us a bird's eye view of that?
1: Yeah, a couple years ago in Cincinnati, we were um, putting together a pop up shop in a space, and we didn't know the history of this building that we were working in. It was just a, a it used to be like a dollar store before us, so we were just kind of cleaning it up and. Um, just getting an understanding that, you know, there were things happening around us that, you know, I think all things kind of connect in some fashion. Um, and uh, I went on vacation with my wife for a wedding and we went to North Carolina and we actually went to the site of the first uh, sit in, you know, for the civil rights movement, and you know, it was just it did something to me just to know that these were, you know, a couple kids, you know, it's like four guys basically who started this whole thing that just blew up and expanded across the South and across the country, and then ultimately land to it ended up um, so to desegregation of restaurants and you know the the counters and things like that. And so when I got back to Cincinnati and continued to work on this space, um, there was an older gentleman who came into the building and he was asking what was, you know, what we were doing in the space. And he let us know that this was the space where he had met his wife. So he was just always, just always kind of kept his eye on the space and, um, and he let us know that it, it had been a Woolworths, you know, store. And it was just kind of like this connection point of the work that Mortar was doing and that we were three guys who just had this journey of, you know, hey, let's do something that's going to have an impact that's bigger than us. Because Woolworths was the place of who gets to sit at the counter exactly, and who doesn't. Exactly. And And then having that connection point of— You know, to other people who just had this desire to change things and understanding that we were ultimately doing the same thing several generations later and that we would have an impact that was bigger than us because they never knew when they left their college that day, you know, that they were gonna change the entire country, you know. Um, And there took some tenacity, it took some bravery, it took some honor and some integrity to sit there and kind of take all of the things that came with that. Um, And so for us, it was just an amazing kind of connection point for us to know that, you know, this one thing that we wanted to start in one neighborhood in Cincinnati is now in six neighborhoods in Cincinnati and then in six additional cities outside of Cincinnati. And we never planned on it being bigger than one neighborhood. And and so sometimes it's it's about just getting up and and following your intuition and your heart and just saying like, I think I'm going to do this thing, and I don't know what's going to happen. I think a lot of times – I'm not a planner. I'm super spontaneous. Uh, I think a lot of times we try to plan our lives, and everything has to fit this roadmap, and we're going to miss out on the things that really would have made the difference because we didn't have that spontaneity. But
0: that's the point of aggression, right? The point of aggression is I see something. I'm going to do something. I thought of this – I'm going to go do this. It's not I'm going to have elaborate plannings yeah. and systems, which is fine to have planning and yeah. systems. But I meet more and more folks like you and I just seize the day. Yeah, boy, yeah, that's so. an old old movie, right? Carpe diem, seize the day, boy. you ever see that old movie? I have no idea. What Carpe
1: diem. <laughs> But it Sees sounds it sounds ours. interesting. <laughs> Make your life count for
0: something. It's an old Is this Robin Williams
1: IMR uh, podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's an old uh, old Carpe Diem movie. But Robin Williams and he's working with some privileged privileged kids who are looking at this. Oh
1: wait. Is
0: that Dead Poet Society? Yeah, Dead oh. Dead Poet Society. I've seen that. And they're looking at all these yeah. dead people, these old black and white photos, yeah. and one day they're just like you, having all kind of dreams, but they ended up just like you. Worm food. Yeah. You can hear their voices calling out, lean in boys. Lean in boy, hear what they say to you. Seize the day, boys. Remember that now? Come on, you're good. I, you're I starting
1: to cry know. right now, aren't you? No, I'm not. I, I, I was thinking I do need to rewatch it, but then I was also wondering if you have a copy of the script at home because you like know a lot about it.
0: No, I don't have a copy of the script. That's just <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in 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 any movie. But anyway, to, to your point, so those folks I didn't think about. It. Yeah, they just seized the day that day. Yeah. I need to make a stand here that day. I need yeah. to be. They didn't use probably this terminology, but I need to be aggressive this yeah. day. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. If more of us would get on that plan than any other self-help plan, I'm telling you, your life would change. One of the things I'm so glad I did is you and I were meeting a while ago talking about mortar, and uh, boy, I just felt that a little prompting from God. Ask this guy if he wants to get in your men's group. So I've been meeting with six to eight guys for a bit, and and uh, just asked you and. Man, you said yes and it's been great being with you in that environment. I'm I'm just um I'm just really thankful that the that God brought that thought past my mind that I said yeah, that I said yes and asked and then you did it. It's been yeah. it's been cool. I wonder how many other things like that I might have ignored, but my life isn't the better because of it. But my life is the better because of you and saying yes that day. I appreciate you, brother.
1: And I appreciate you. I mean that was one of the things that you wouldn't have known but there were that was something I was longing for. Mm. You know, I had even had conversations with my wife. You know, I have several siblings that I'm not connected to that, you know, I was just like, why do I not have these relationships with men, you know, like in my life? And I have a couple, you know, guy friends, but it wasn't like some of those relationships are relationships that, you know, you are always the poorer and Mm. no one ever is like reciprocating that. And I was really telling her, you know, I'm looking for relationships that, I am not the only one who has to pour, you know, where I'm not always the mentor, but I can learn from other people and sometimes be the mentee. And I think that the majority of my relationships before connecting with you was I was always the mentor and I was looking for something where I could learn from other people and have people kind of pour into me as well as me pouring into them. So it's been great and it's, it's something that, you know, I think that, more men should have more women should have uh and marry you know married couples i'm i'm a huge advocate for marriage my wife and i have a podcast as well that's kind of dormant now because of uh other priorities and covid and we just kind of took a break but i think that it's it's really important to kind of have those people around you that are where you want to go um and who can kind of support you in getting to that place. So, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, surround yourself with entrepreneurs. If you want to be a singer, surround yourself with singers and musicians, and you'll learn from each other, and, and, you know, that that part will kind of help you get there.
0: Well, you certainly haven't only been a receiver, you've also been a poor. I've reflected frequently, in fact, I just quoted you, yesterday, we were talking about how there is a narrative in our country that you have to believe, or else you are canceled. Mm-hmm. There is a certain set of values that you need to have. It's almost like literal thought police yeah. is going around. That, and, and we're actually eliminating, eliminating dissenting points of view. I'm reading a book right now on uh, transgender, which is looking at just stuff we don't hear about, yeah. and it got banned from Amazon. Oh wow! Just just banned. So I had to I had to go somewhere to find it, and um, all the uh, the books of people who were gay, who are right now not gay. This is their words. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all been eliminated from Amazon, wow. and uh, it's just. And you can agree or disagree with whatever those books are. Yeah. But the point was, and what you said to me was, you know, our culture is squashing minority opinions. Mm-hmm. I don't mean uh, skin minority. Yeah. I mean just minority. And 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 you said, well, that's just the way it's always been in our culture. And you as a black man, you've seen that. You want to blow that out a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, when you think back to the conversation of going back to the counter, I mean, that is unpopular opinion that you should be able to grab a cup of coffee at the same place as someone else that doesn't look like you. For you to have that thought, you know, could lead to your death, ultimately was terrorism. I mean, like, we're in... Uh, 2021, this is the 100-year commemoration of the race massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on Black Wall Street, um, where it was a thriving economy of Black doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs. Um, and that, for a lot of people, was a threat to what it meant to be an American in the patriot sense and in the sense of a lot of other narratives that we still constantly hear I think that there are still people who are threatened by the fact that— People were
0: killed. Yeah. And that wasn't even reported on. You couldn't even know about it. In fact, I didn't didn't even learn about that until about two years ago.
1: It was very hidden. Uh, It was, you know, 300 people died. All of the businesses, churches, everything burned down. There were clear messages and signals sent to people that this is what happens when you don't, quote unquote, stay in your place, Um, because the place for— Black people in America is not a state of prominence. There were a lot of people in Oklahoma who were struggling, who were white men, you know, and white families right around the corner who were like, who are these people to dare to be thriving? When you think of that, that was a minority opinion, that we can thrive and we can figure this out and we can build our own economies and we can take care of ourselves. One of the things we have to remember is that just because it's an unpopular opinion doesn't mean that you have to, you know, squash it or I mean, you don't even have to agree. It is what it is. Like we all have our own opinions, but you don't have to squash it because it's something that, you know, is different than how you were raised or brought up.
0: But the dominant culture always has the microphone. Mm-hmm. The dominant culture always has the narrative. Yep. And if you happen to be someone like me or you yeah. who has a Christian worldview, uh we are not in the dominant culture yeah. anymore, not at all. We
1: would like to believe it, but it is, you know, the fact is that we, we come from a place where, I mean, even inherently in the country, you know, that, you know, religion is, well, Christianity, not even religion, but Christianity is one of the foundational, you know, principles of government. You know, even though there's like a separation of church and state, you know, essentially, but, you know, Christianity is a foundation of government. And so, you know, we, I think as a country, have tried to hold on to Christianity as the only way. Um, But not recognizing that if you grew up in the house next door, you may have had an entirely different religion and, you know, thought process. And because you grew up in your house, now everybody who's outside of your house is wrong and you have to dispute what they say. And so I think just changing that worldview and understanding that everybody is not going to think and believe like you do. Jesus didn't ask us to agree with everybody. You know, he just told us to love everybody.
0: Amen. I, I think that's interesting that I am struggling with how to be in the minority. Mutual friend of ours, Chuck Mingo, uh, he sent me this article. This, I'm laughing. He was laughing when he told me about it. I just think it's a, a crazy, crazy illustration. It was a, it was a black guy who, who likened COVID ending— to having to put his bee suit back on to go back into culture mm. he said he, he has this article and he says you know as a black man when i go into culture i've got to have got to put my bee suit on because there is a bunch of bees and he says and, and he is he's a beekeeper he says most of the bees that are buzzing around they're never going to hurt you right. that's okay. that's okay but there's a couple they're going to really hurt you and sting you. And there's a couple others that actually could kill you. It's, it's a vast, vast majority. But to go into culture as a black man, he says, it's like when I'm going around my bees, I've got to put my bee suit on. And what COVID-19 did for me is I didn't have to interact with it. Yeah. I could I could stay home. And and he says, I've learned that I can actually buy honey and not have to go around all those people who are going to sting me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, that then was, there's that. Yeah. Then there's that. There's always been a desire for self-preservation and protection. Um, and I think that in general, even the conversation about, you know, the the books that you were searching for, we need to get to a place where people can coexist uh, without agreement. If I don't have the same thoughts as you, I don't have to feel like I'm going to get stung because you know, I just want to live my life in a free way that doesn't impose on your freedoms. Amen. And I think that that's, that's the difference. As long as I'm living in a free way that's not imposing on someone else's freedoms, you know, and it's not hurting other people or causing, you know, whatever pain, uh, I think that we need to get to the point where, you know, we are protective of other people. There are lots of people who don't have to put on their beekeeper suits yeah. and they're they're walking around with immunity and they're like, I'm good, you know. But but what would happen if they were to start to advocate for the people who don't have the same protections um, and really start to, you know, like even thinking about the the Asian community right now and a lot of the things that, you know, are not new. What would happen if more people um, said sooner that this is not okay, you know, And, and it shouldn't have to be. It's not the burden of the Asian community to carry. It's not the burden of the black community to, to you know, we didn't create the, the racist politics and systems, but then we're often being tasked with dismantling racism. Yeah. And it's like, we didn't make this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, it's also complicated because
0: when people who look like me, white Christians, had the microphone and controlled the narrative, we didn't do a very good job of valuing people who are different than us yeah. allowing dissenting opinions and views to be out there allowing people to follow a different path than we would personally follow we 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 didn't we didn't do a very good job of that and 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 we should have because we're the people of grace yeah. our 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 spirituality is founded on grace giving second chances allowing someone to have something slide allowing somebody else to have a different opinion that that's kind of part of the foundational things of our of our faith because God lets things slide with us all the time yeah. all the time without
1: I, without writing us off
0: right right <laughs> and as i i told a friend of mine who's a who's a, who's a gay activist i said yeah it's really difficult here you know because now that you've got the microphone now that you're in the majority and not that most people are gay right. but the statistics are very very clear that that uh, view of sexuality is the one that's most approved of, or at least people say it is. Um, it'll be interesting if you you treat us better than we treated you. And I don't have a high expectation of that because there's not a foundation of grace and forgiveness in any movement outside of Jesus, you know? So it's it's, it's odd times. We're in. I'm getting deep and dark here right now, so sorry <laughs> for that. Hey, are you ready for the lightning round, Alan Woods? Oh, are you ready? Round. Yes. All right. I... I, I Ask you something, and you give me a very, very quick one, two-sentence answer. Are you ready? Boom. Let's do it. Business idea you wish you would have thought of? Uh, The iPhone. Mm. Hero from business or history you would most like to have lunch
1: with, and you can't say Jesus. Uh, Malcolm X after he returned from Mecca. All right. Yeah, let's uh, dig no, in. Uh, it's <laughs> problems. <If> someone
0: someone <laughs> someone sometimes gets an answer and I'm like, okay, okay, I I I I have
1: I know Malcolm
0: X. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about with yeah. Mecca. So go ahead, tell me. So uh
1: after so when Malcolm went to Mecca, he came into the understanding that there were a lot of Muslims that were not black, um and he worshipped alongside kind of the same conversation we're having right now. He worshiped next to white Muslims and Arabic Muslims and black Muslims and really came into this deeper understanding of what the religion was really about versus what he had learned kind of previously and uh, had just a different world perspective and was coming back to America from a place of peace where he really wanted to build with other communities versus um, kind of antagonizing or to to get revenge you know on some of the things that had been done, and never really had that opportunity to do that you know because shortly thereafter he was assassinated. Mm. Um, and so you know I think that he fundamentally changed who he was because of that trip to Mecca, and I would love to sit down with him and talk about what he would have perceived as what was next. Interesting. Yeah. All right.
0: Key to surviving your first year as a small business.
1: (laughs) Hennessy. No. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sleep, because the people will try to tell you that you know there's the narrative that entrepreneurs you know will, will sleep when we're dead. But no, it's like you need that that healthy level of rest to recuperate. Um, because when you show up the next day and you're, you're well rested, you're, you're thinking on a different level and you're ready to kind of accomplish more. Way to know if my business idea is a good idea. Talk to the potential customers who are not your family and friends who would actually spend money with you and find out you know what they are looking for and if it's solving a problem, what is the problem that it solves? And for how long? Accomplishment you're most proud of? Family. You know, just knowing that I'm doing my best <laughs> to be a great husband and father. And, you know, I'm really pleased and proud of the young women that my daughters have grown into. You know, my girls are going to gonna make some really big changes in this world. and I'm excited to see it. Best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Go, like, don't don't wait for everything to be perfect. Just go and, you know, make the adjustments as you need to.
0: Most aggressive move you've made as a husband?
1: Ooh, moving to Cincinnati. Um, my wife got a job here in Cincinnati. We're from, we're both born and raised in Indianapolis and she got a job here and being a supportive husband, was aggressive. I mean, in the sense of, you know, I could have said, well, I don't want to leave and I don't want to follow my wife to another city, you know, so she can do her thing. Cause I had no idea what I was going to do once I got here. So I think supporting my wife and saying, let's, let's go. We're a team. We'll make it happen. Most aggressive move you've ever made at mortar. Oh, that's hard. I make aggressive moves every day. Uh we we just uh moved into a new building that we hope to be able to purchase at some point. Um and it's it's an amazing space and we are building out a studio in that space so we can continue to do uh photography, video, podcasts, you know, and really kind of control our narrative.
0: Taking new ground always sounds sexy. Yeah. But it it never feels sexy, right? Cuz it, it's always <laughs> something I'm not sure how it's going to happen exactly. and the possibility of failure is very very high yeah
1: it felt right yeah anything you want to talk about that i haven't asked you uh no that's a nice shirt though it brings out your eyes that's what my wife says i'm an observer see i'm a photographer i i notice everything i feel so loved right now i can't wait to tell her that
0: (laughs) well dude people are going to want to follow up with you and Mm -hmm. your stuff and mortar if someone wants to follow up how can they find you
1: I try to make everything easy, so it's the same everywhere. Um, if you're looking for me personally, everything is uh, at Just Call Me Alan, Allen, A-O-L-E-N. If you're looking for Mortar, everything is at We Are Mortar, M-O-R-T-A-R.
0: Well, there it is, boys and girls, another episode of The Aggressive Life. Take some of Alan's words and actually do them. Don't just listen to them. Do them. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. <laughs>